Well, I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, continuing our study of this wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus. The letter to the Ephesians will begin reading from verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Amen. We'll end our reading there. Trust the Lord to bless this word to all of our hearts. Let's pray and just ask for the Lord's help one last time. Our Father, we come at this uh, climax hour, Lord, where the Word is opened. We've read it, O Lord, and now we need to hear Thee speak. Lord, we need to hear uh, Thy Word expounded. We need to hear uh, God speaking to all of our hearts, Lord. And we pray, therefore, minister to each of us by the Spirit. Help me, O God, to be Thy mouthpiece. Help me to be the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. And enable all of us to rightly hear this message, O Lord, and to apply it to our lives. We need the help of thy Spirit for this, Lord. You know our frame and how weak we are. Please, Lord, minister to us and help us, we pray. Exalt Christ. May he be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the verse I draw your attention to is verse 3. So we uh, tried to deal with verses 1 and 2 last week. Uh, there's still... Probably some things left to be said, but we're moving on to verse 3, and we're going to consider uh, this verse today. And I'll read it again. The apostles' cry is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Well, what does it mean to be blessed by God. We often use that term and you'll you'll hear the word blessed used a lot in our culture, but I don't think we often understand all that's involved in the blessing of God that this verse uh, specifically calls us to consider. <clears throat> the apostle Paul is about to give us the answer to that question what it means to be blessed by God. And Paul is about to launch out into a discourse of adoration. He is going to, 
uh, over the next uh, several chapters, just be in a discourse of adoring the graces of the gospel of God. That is really what the word blessed uh, could be translated as he says, blessed be the God. It could be, uh, may God be adored, you could say, to paraphrase it. And so, uh, Paul is, is doing this. Uh, he is going to continually just be blessing God as he lays out the wonders of the gospel. And when you read this text, you can get the sense, when you, when you read it over and over, you get the sense of Paul that he is overwhelmed by the grace of God. That he, his heart is bursting with praise to God. And that he is excited to preach the gospel of God to these people. That's, that's the sense. When you read this, you can't really read Blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in kind of a monotone way. You have to really feel the thrust of the apostle. There's an excitement in this. Paul is, is writing this from what we believe a Roman prison. He's definitely in prison. Some debate where, but it seems obvious or rather uh, conclusive that he is in Rome. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. And so he is writing this from prison and you can get the sense that as he's writing this, he almost can envision himself preaching to these people. And as he's writing, he, you can almost see him just, blessed be God. That, that is the, the cry and the outburst of his heart. And, and when he's writing this, he is writing it to, to get them or keep them where he is in adoring God. That, that's, his, that's what he's doing. Remember we talked about last week and the purpose of, of the epistle being their understanding and their experience of the truth. And so he is, he, is, he is there and he is trying to get them there or will get them there if they properly understand what he's saying. And so in many ways, just by way of introduction, this can be considered the key verse of this letter. Verse 3. It is similar in expression to Ephesians 3.8. In Ephesians 3.8, we're told of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you can see the similarity in expression. All spiritual blessings, unsearchable riches. That's really the, the key text as we go throughout the rest of the book. Uh, this verse really sets us up for the rest of the doctrine that is going to be displayed through the next several chapters and the application of that doctrine in the final three chapters. And so, I say all that because it is crucial for us to understand this verse because it's setting us up for everything that comes after. And so, we want to meditate here today. And so, I want to speak to you about being blessed by God in Christ. Being blessed by God in Christ. For that's what this is all about. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And the first thing I want you to see here is the source of these blessings. The source of these blessings. We're told in our text, blessed be the God and Father. And if you just uh, subtract that phrase, who hath blessed us, 
If you if you read it that way, you can see clearly the blessing is coming from God and fa- and the Father. Blessed be the God and Father who hath blessed us. And so, the first thing I want us to see here as we consider the source of these blessings is that God is the source of these blessings. That's fairly straightforward. God is the source of these blessings. But why is Paul highlighting this? Why is he saying uh, this in this way? Well, there were many Gentiles in this church, and there were some Jews, or at least those who had a knowledge of the Old Testament, and these people have become informed about the Old Testament. You remember they've been instructed by Paul in the gospel. They've been taught the things of God for a long time, and the scriptures in this day were mostly Old Testament. And so I suggest to you what Paul is drawing our minds to consider here is the blessing that God gives, that it is his blessing. And when we think about that, our several things should come to our mind. But really, what he's drawing us to focus on here are two things how God blesses, and why God blesses. And the first thing, how God blesses, when we think of the fact that this blessing is coming from God, we should remember a key portion of Scripture when you think about God's blessing, which is Numbers 23. And I ask you to turn there with me. In your Old Testament, Numbers chapter 23. This is uh, the portion uh, where uh, Balak... The king of Moab has gone to Balaam, uh, the son of Baor, who is a uh, really a false prophet in many ways. Uh, it's an interesting study of him, but that's not our purpose, but that's the context in which we're in in Numbers 23. And really what we're doing here is seeing how God blesses. So in Numbers 23, verse 18, this is Balaam speaking. And he says, And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. You see here the nature of of God's blessing as as Balaam uh, is used to speak this word unto Balak. You see that God, when he blesses his people, he blesses omnipotently, or with all power. That word omnipotent meaning all power. For we read that, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot, I cannot reverse it. In other words, there was the inability of Balaam to overturn the blessing of God. And so God blesses omnipotently, but he also blesses irreversibly. For Balaam says, He hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. There's no overturning of God's blessing. And he also blesses graciously. You see that in the words he says in verse 21. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. And what is that text saying? Because there was obviously sin in Jacob. There was iniquity in Israel. But what that verse is pointing us to 
in its typical significance is the reality of what you have in Christ, what you have in the Messiah that was to come, which is substitutionary atonement and God looking upon us, his people in Christ, not beholding iniquity in us because of what's been accomplished by the Lord Jesus. And so that's why I say he blesses graciously because he chooses to not behold iniquity in Jacob. He chooses rather to impute that iniquity to Christ. And that's what that's pointing us to. So he blesses omnipotently and irreversibly and graciously. Well, let's think about that as it relates to our text. When we come to Ephesians 1.3 and we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. All those things in Numbers 23 apply to this blessing. And so as you think of this as it relates to this text, this is how God blesses you through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses you all powerfully and irreversibly and graciously so that the blessing that's here spoken of by Paul when he says it's coming from God, it's coming from the Almighty God and the covenant God of the Old Testament. And so these blessings that you have in Christ they cannot be reversed by anyone at any time. And it is crucial to start out understanding that. That this is what Paul is drawing us to consider when he says that God hath blessed us. But that's how God blesses. Well, the next thing he wants us to consider is why God blesses. That's knowledge that this is knowledge of the Old Testament that these people would have. How God blesses. Well, why does he bless? Well, he blesses because he has condescended and covenanted to bless. And that's the only reason. Well, why do I say that? Why do I say that's what Paul is drawing us to consider? Well, because the same word we have here as bless occurs in two other significant places that I'll ask you to turn with me to. The one in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3. We're told in Acts chapter 3 concerning uh, the promise of the Messiah and the significance of Genesis 12.3 and all that it entails. Acts 3 verse 25 speaking to the Jews. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying unto Abraham and in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And that word to bless is the same word in our text. Bless. And so what Paul is drawing us to consider is the covenant blessing of God. And it came first to the Jews. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, Jesus sent him to bless you. He is the promised seed of the Abrahamic covenant who came to bless and then the other is back toward Ephesians in Galatians chapter 3, where we find the word again. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, we'll read from verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so what is Paul doing with both of those texts? Luke, who was his companion in the gospel ministry, writing Acts. He, writing Galatians, both using this word that we find in Ephesians. He's drawing us to consider why God blesses. Because He has covenanted to bless. No other motivation. In other words, as we come to Ephesians 3, it's important to recognize when he, he draws our attentions to God giving these blessings, it is unconditional that God has condescended and covenanted to bless His people through Christ. And that He has almightily blessed them and irreversibly blessed them through Christ. In other words, Paul is drawing us, drawing us to consider the blessing of God that was going to come on the Jews and the Gentiles through the Lord Jesus. He's drawing us, pointing our minds to consider and meditate on the covenant of grace. That's what he's pointing us to. This covenant of grace that was announced in the garden to Adam and Eve, preserved through Noah, Established with Abraham, pictured in David, and fulfilled in Christ. That's what he's drawing us to consider. The covenant of grace and God's blessing through that covenant. So God is the source of these blessings. But also here, God the Father specifically is the source of these blessings. God the Father specifically is the source of these blessings. Well, what is Paul drawing our minds to here? Blessed be the God and Father who hath blessed us. Well, here, he's, he's drawing our minds to consider, he's directing us to the counsel or the covenant of redemption. That's what he's pointing us to by specifically highlighting the Father as the blesser of the people. The covenant of redemption, as it's termed, that took place between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people may call it different things, but it is clear that this took place in John 17. We're given the clear evidence of it, as well as Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. I'm not going to take the time to, to deal with, with arguing that out as far as all the the arguments that go along with that, that covenant. But simply, I'm just highlighting to you that this is what Paul's drawing our attention to. He, he wants us to consider the covenant of redemption as it relates to the Father, the covenant of grace as it relates to the title God. Because really, the covenant of grace is the execution of the covenant of redemption. The covenant of grace takes place in time, and you see that administered throughout the Old Testament. And it's the outflowing of the covenant of redemption that, take pl that took place between the Trinity, or in the Trinity, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, here as we think about this, Paul is just highlighting to us this covenant of redemption in which the Father orchestrated the plan and gave the people. The Son agreed to the plan and covenanted to redeem the people. And the Holy Spirit agreed to the plan and covenanted to apply the merits of Christ to the people in time. That's what he's drawing us to consider when he uses the terms God and Father who hath blessed us. And isn't it 
Isn't it amazing to just behold here the triune God so intricately in, in, in all part, every person involved in our redemption, in, in bringing us back to Himself, in covenanting to redeem us to Himself. And that is why the biblical doctrine of the Trinity is so crucial to a proper understanding of the gospel and the glory and grace of God in the gospel. Because why does this matter? Why, why do I take the time to, to bring all these things out that Paul is highlighting for us? Because it, it, it brings us to the point where we can just be humbled that God would take care to do this for such miserable and wretched sinners like us. That's the point that I want you to come away with when you see this. It's not just doctrine for doctrine's sake. It's doctrine to produce in us humility. As the psalmist says in Psalm 8.4, when, when you consider these things, what is man that thou art mindful of him? So that is the source of these blessings. God and God the Father specifically with the other members of the Trinity. And the second thing I want you to consider from our text, not only the source of these blessings, but the mediator of these blessings. The mediator of these blessings. You see, the mediator highlighted there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A mediator being as we might term a go-between, someone who reconciles parties that are at odds with each other. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is. He's our mediator, the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I want us to just note a couple of things about this mediator that are highlighted here by Paul. The first is that this mediator is both God and man. This mediator is both God and man. And this is seen by the titles in the text. He is called... In verse 3, the, we're speaking of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's a double reference there to the natures of our Lord, to the two natures of Christ. He's the God and Father. Well, why do I say that? Well, because as we think of these terms in relation to Christ, the God and Father, God must be a reference to His humanity. Because the Father is not the God of the Son in strict reference to His position within the Trinity. There's one God. And so it is a reference to His humanity. He is the God of Jesus. He's the God of the man, Christ Jesus. And then Father is a reference to His deity. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, because... You ask why? Why do we say that? Because as he was his father in reference to Christ, it's always a reference to his deity. He is the only begotten son of God. He's the one whom the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so we're being pointed to Trinitarian sonship here. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, his humanity and his deity, both natures in view. And just to remind us that Christ as our mediator, has two distinct natures in one person forever. Not natures that intermingle or mix, but they both operate 
distinctly within the one person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know this is very theological, but it is, it is here in the text. And so it is for our, our consideration as we think about the person of our Lord. But not only those titles, but the next title, our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we have highlighted the deity and humanity of Christ. As it is said of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord being a reference to his deity. That word is used throughout uh, the New Testament in various ways. It can be used uh, to speak of someone in a reverential way. But it is not only a reverential title. With reference to Christ, it is always the divine name. It is always that when applied to him. And that's clearly seen in Revelation 1.8. Where it says... I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That word Lord being the same. So why does this matter? Again, why are we highlighting this? We're highlighting this because it's essential to the gospel. And our Westminster divines are helpful here as they help us to understand In question 40, they say, Why was it requisite or required that the mediator should be God and man in one person? It was requisite or required that the mediator who was to reconcile God and man should himself be both God and man and this in one person, that the proper works of each nature might be accepted of God for us and relied on by us as the works of the whole person. In other words, if I could just summarize that, they're saying what they're saying based on Scripture is that our redemption depended on this. Our redemption depended on Christ being who He is in His person and doing what He did as it relates to His person. And so Paul highlights for us our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This mediator is both God and man. But also, this mediator is the promised Messiah. We've already touched on this a little, but it bears repeating because of the name Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, He is the Anointed One. He is the One of whom it was said to John the Baptist, the One upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining. That is the One who's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. The One of whom it is said that the Spirit is given to Him without measure. The anointed one. He is the new covenant head that was promised in the garden. He is the promised seed of the Abrahamic covenant, Galatians 3.16. So why is Paul drawing us there with this title of Christ? Well, because he's just highlighting for us the natures of our Lord and the work of our Lord as the Messiah. Because as we think about these blessings, and this is where it becomes really important, he came and secured our inheritance of these blessings. He came as God and took on a human nature to fulfill the righteous law of God in our place and to satisfy the just wrath of God in our place so that you and I can receive These blessings of the covenant. He is, as Messiah, the perfect 
and sinless prophet, priest, and king who perfectly mediates now that he has secured them. He mediates all the blessings of the covenant of grace to his peculiar and purchased and covenanted people. And the last thing about this mediator, and this is the thing that I think is most crucial in all of this, this mediator is the blessing. This mediator is the blessing. You could almost miss that when reading this text. He hath, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but then he says, in Christ. In Christ. He is the blessing. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, referring to Christ in the line of Abraham. And so Christ is the blessing. And what I mean is that He's not merely the means of blessing. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not merely the channel by which we receive all these benefits, though He is a channel by which we receive all these benefits. But He Himself is the greatest blessing. And this is essential for us to grasp. It's not just the blessings that come through Christ, but it's the blessing that He is by sheer virtue of who He is. And why is that important? Because remember who this is being written to and what was said of them years later from the Lord that they had left their first love. They had the doctrine and they, they were contending for the faith. But they had left their first love. And so that is important for all of us to remember as we think about these these blessings that come to us from God and, and the Father's work in, in the plan of redemption, the Son's outworking of the plan, the Spirit's applying of the merits of Christ to us, to not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the one that gives us all these blessings and it enables us to enjoy all these blessings. It is through Him that God becomes your God and your Father. That's what He said in John chapter 20, to his disciples. And this is based upon their union with him. He says in John 20 verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. That cannot be said if you do not have Christ. Without Him... All that we get from God are, are curses because of our sin. But with Christ, we receive all spiritual blessings. Because of Him, you are placed in a personal covenant relationship with God as your God. And because of Him, you become a recipient of the paternal care of the Father through Christ. That is the source of these blessings and the mediator of these blessings. But lastly, I want us to consider the nature of these blessings. And this, like I said, this text is just crucial as we go forward to understand, as we, as we launch out into Paul's discourse and all the things that he's going to deal with. We need to understand where these blessings are coming from, how they're coming to us, and the nature of them. And so, this third and final thing, the nature of these blessings. The first thing 
we want to see here is that they are spiritual blessings. They are spiritual blessings. That is right there in the text. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word spiritual there communicates to us the supernatural realm of things. That, and then uh, in addition to it, the word heavenly. Uh, people debate how heavenly is meant to be interpreted. Is it just the, the kind of blessings or is it in reference to a, a location? Well, I suggest to you it's in reference to actually flowing from heaven because of what we read in Ephesians 1.20. If you just glance across the page, perhaps, we're told of Christ... Uh, of the Lord through Christ, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, in heaven, at the throne. And so these blessings that we're reading of in verse 3, they're spiritual and they're flowing to us from heaven through Christ. In other words, what Paul's highlighting is that they're not temporal blessings. They are spiritual they are supernatural gospel blessings. And that is not to say that you and I do not receive temporal blessings as a result of the gospel. Matthew 6 makes that so clear. Take no thought for the morrow, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. In the end of the chapter, after he's gone through all that list, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there are temporal blessings in this age. But they are not the primary thing in this age. In other words, what, what Paul is directing us to consider here is the change of the administration between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, they, they didn't, they, it wasn't the absence of spiritual blessing, but it was more outward than inward. You can see that. There's so much emphasis on the outward elements in everything in the Old Testament. There was still the reality of the inward. But as you come to the New Testament, it's almost the reverse. The inward is emphasized over the outward. And that's the change that Paul is referring to here. As he, as he denotes spiritual blessings. And this would have been so important for Paul, would it not? As he sits in a Roman prison without the, the, the amenities of the world, without uh, the comforts and all the things that we might consider, as he cries out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he lays hold of the fact that, though he's in this prison, I have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so what's the lesson for us? Though you may be the poorest person on earth, you are still among the richest in heaven. No matter what we lack here, we have the greatest storehouse of riches. Unsearchable riches in Christ. And this is especially significant because Ephesus is one, historically speaking, is one of the wealthiest cities in this area. And Paul tells them, he doesn't direct them to earthly riches, but spiritual riches and heavenly riches, unsearchable. So all the, the, the income and the money that this church may have and, and all that the, the people in that area may have, 
though it may be a, a blessing from God in a sense as far as earthly things, Paul's drawing our minds to say, these aren't the main thing. You have all spiritual blessings. They are spiritual blessings. But secondly here, they are comprehensive blessings. And I want to just note these as we get uh, to a close. They are comprehensive blessings. Paul says that who hath blessed us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In other words, all that you can think of. You are completely supplied with all spiritual provision in and through Christ. He is preparing to get into specifics. He, in verse 4, you see, as he, as he says all spiritual blessings, he then says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He's going to start dealing with election and all these things. But he says all in verse 3 as an indication that, that though he's going to deal with specifics, He's not putting, as it were, a limitation on these blessings. And I further back that up from what he says in chapter 3, verse 8. They're unsearchable riches. They never end. There's always more. So as you, as you study the gospel, as you study the things that we have in Christ, there's never going to be an end to it. There's always more for your soul to feed on. Always more to encourage you in the Lord. Always more to, to cause you to just praise the Lord and bless God. Here in verse 3, he, he's, just, he's stating the fact, the reality, the grand and glorious picture of the comprehensive spiritual blessings of God to us in Christ. They are comprehensive blessings with all blessings. They also, they are unchangeable blessings. They are unchangeable blessings. Why do I say that? Because, he says, who hath blessed us. Blessed. In other words, past tense. In other words, he's saying he, these are fixed and constant blessings. They cannot be taken away or removed by anyone at any time. And we, it's so easy to just say that and not really think about it. Let that sink into your soul. That these are unchangeable blessings. That you can never, if you are in Christ, you can never not be blessed in Him. That these, these riches that we're going to study and read about over the next several weeks are all yours in Christ and can never not be yours through Christ. Why are they unchangeable? Not just because God says so, though He is Almighty God, but also because of what Paul adds at the end. He hath blessed us in Christ. They are unchangeable because of your spiritual union with Christ. And this is so vital to understand as we study this book. It, it, it keeps bringing us back to union with Christ. Your spiritual union with Him. Because that's where it all comes from. Almost in every single time He, he denotes one of these blessings, it's always in connection with Christ, never removed from Him. Even as He starts in verse 4, according as He hath chosen us 
in Him. So all of your spiritual life, all of your spiritual blessings, any assurance that you have of acceptance before God is all vitally connected and flows from your union with Christ. You are in body and soul in union with Him. And so to the point that where He is, you will and must be. John 17, 24. So as sure as Christ is in heaven, this is the point, as sure as Christ is in heaven, so will you be in heaven if you are in Him. You are so spiritually united to Him that you are viewed by God as He views Christ. Look at what Paul says in, in Ephesians. So he says here, in heavenly places in Christ, and then in verse 20 of chapter 1, he says that Christ has been set at His own right hand in, in the heavenly places, at the Father's right hand. And then what does he say in chapter 2, 6? He says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. Isn't that marvelous? Does that thrill your soul? Amen. That God views you as seated together in heavenly places in Christ? Amen. So vital and so connected are you to the Savior? That you, you, you cannot be viewed apart from Him. Amen. They are unchangeable blessings. They are exclusive blessings. They are exclusive blessings. Why do I say that? Because Paul says they are in Christ. They belong only to those in Christ. They do not belong, in other words, to those out of Christ. And you might say, well, well, how do I know that I'm in Christ? How do I know or how do I know that I can come to Christ? Well, Paul adds a word here in verse 3 that is very helpful in this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, those in Christ are those who embrace Him as Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you just ask yourself, do you embrace Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you embrace Him? Do you say He is my Lord and my Savior? He rules my life. He's pardoned me of my sins. That, that is the key here. And the other question to ask, if you don't know Him, if you are not in Him, are you willing to embrace Him as Lord and Savior? Because both of these, if you are embracing Him, or if you are willing to embrace Him but have not embraced Him, both of these are works of the Holy Spirit. If you are here today and you embrace Him as your Lord and Savior, it's only because the Spirit of God has enabled you to do so. And if you are even willing, if you are willing to embrace Him, it's because the Spirit of God is working upon you. Because no man will call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. 
They are exclusive blessings. Two more things. They are grace-exalting blessings. They are grace-exalting blessings. For, God, for he says, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Grace-exalting blessings. Why do I say that? Because the people referred to here as us are the same ones referred to in chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It's the same people. And, and he says, he hath blessed us. And so, and you don't just read over that word without your heart feeling the weight of that word. He hath blessed us. We who rebelled against Him in Adam. We who hated Him and, and despised Christ apart from the grace of God. He hath blessed us. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can put your name there. <laughs> Who hath blessed me with all spiritual blessings. Lastly here, they are experiential blessings. They are experiential blessings. They are blessings that are the life and soul of the believer. Why do I say that? Because of the opening lines of this verse and the cry of Paul's heart, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said at the beginning, this is the outbursting of a heart that is living in the felt experience of these blessings. These truths have so gripped Paul's heart that he is crying out, blessed be God. And this should be the daily cry of every Christian's heart. I say it should be because so often it may not be. And yet not a day should pass that we are not able to say with Paul here, blessed be God. And it is possible for us to genuinely say that every day. Maybe after I say a statement like that, you may say, well, it is easy for you to say that. <laughs> you, you, don't, you haven't lived as long as I have. You haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't been through what I've been through. And no, I haven't. But don't hear that from me. Hear it from God through Paul. Because Paul was a man who had seen much affliction. He was a man who had been beaten within an inch of his life, left for dead for the preaching of the gospel. He had been abandoned by his friends in the ministry. He had been afflicted in his soul 
with the thorn in the flesh, which is the messenger of Satan, to buffet him lest he become proud. And now he's stuck in a Roman prison, not given the freedom like he would love to go all around the world preaching the gospel. Paul was a man who faced so much affliction. And he, he constantly endured it all. And, and the care of all the churches that could be upon his soul at one time and the things that were going on in the work of God at various times would have been so discouraging to him. And yet, he comes to, to this point and he says, Blessed be God. Always blessed be God. And we, we ask, well, how do I maintain a daily experience of these blessings that shapes how I live? That's really the question. When you see, okay, Paul's doing this, well, well how am I supposed to do it? What well, is a gift of the Spirit of God? First, it is a gift of God, the Holy Spirit. But He uses means. And th this is really the, the, what I want us to leave with today. He uses means. And those means are studying of the truth that leads to proper understanding of the truth. And then meditation on that truth that leads to realization of that truth. What I mean is that these are the means that the Spirit uses. And these are our responsibilities as Christians. As Paul comes to this point, he, he can't just... In other words, sometimes we can just read over truth and it, we just glance over it. And, and we just... We know these things as factual, but we don't experience them. Well, how do you experience them? Well, like we said, his, his goal in this epistle that they would understand and they would experience. And experience comes through thinking about the truth, the ramifications of the truth, the glories of the truth, what this actually means to me on a daily basis. And no, Paul could not be where he is in this text, in that spirit, if he had not meditated on these things and they had not gripped his heart. In the Lord's providence, we read today Psalm 119.18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Behold, as in adore, treasure, just, just behold them. Not just pass over them, but behold them. And it is, it is as we behold them that they become near and dear to our hearts and real to our souls. This, this is crucial to our daily walk with God. And by saying this in the context in which it is said, Paul is, is pointing us to the need for a fresh appropriation of the blessings and truths of the gospel through understanding and meditation leading to spirit-authored experience of the truth. And that, that doesn't mean every day becomes a mountaintop experience. But it is needed all the more because every day is not a mountaintop experience. What is the difference between the lost and the saved? The, the lost go through struggles and trials in this life. They lose their jobs. They lose loved ones. They lose all manner of things. They, they face afflictions. But they do it without Christ. 
They do it without the gospel. And you and I face those same things, but we are to face them in the truths of the gospel. And the only way to do that is through understanding them, meditating on them, to the point that the Spirit would enable us to experience them. Being blessed by God in Christ should lead you to bless God through Christ. And so leave here today blessing God for these blessings. Leave here endeavoring to enter into a daily experience of them by the grace of God. Leave here with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 113.2. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee that it says such wonderful truths that are recorded for our benefit, recorded for the good of our souls. And Lord, we pray, continually open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. Enable us, O God, to come to a greater understanding of Thy truth, that we may come to a greater experience of Thy truth. Please bless each person today. Lord, help us as we go forth from this place to know Thy presence with us in our homes. Help us to know Thee with us throughout the day. Bring us back here tonight with Thy blessing upon us again. For the glory and honor of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.